Well, if you would again, uh, take out your Bible. And let's turn to Genesis chapter 21, starting in verse 22. At that time, Abimelech in Philcol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal false with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Philcol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God remains forever. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this reading of your word. We pray, God, now for the preaching of your word. Be with this, your servant. Help help me to be clear. Help us to learn the meaning of this text, how to apply it. Help us to see Christ, to cling to our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The Christian faith is rooted in the promises of God. That Christ came into this world, born as a man, born of a woman. That He died and that He rose again for our salvation. That we are saved by grace through faith in Him. That this is a gift from God and that we belong to Him. In addition, the Lord has provided for us with these promises from Him sensible signs which remind us of those spiritual realities. Now, for the past nine chapters in our study of Genesis, we have seen the great blessing which has come to God's servant, Abraham. Starting in chapter 12, he was told to leave his father's house and to go to the land that that he was to be shown. He was promised descendants which would come from him. A nation, in fact, which would come from him, which would be formed from his offspring. And he was promised the land of Canaan. And he was promised that through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Abraham and his wife Sarah waited for 25 years for their promised son to come. 
at a point in which both were well advanced in age, Abraham being a hundred years old and Sarah being about ninety years old. And all along they lived in obedience to the Lord. Not without the occasional stumble along the way. Certainly we've seen uh, many examples of Sarah and Abraham's sin. But they walked by faith. They walked in the promises which were yet unseen. God had cut a covenant with Abraham in chapter 15 to ratify his promises. And he took upon himself the curses of that covenant as the Lord himself walked through, as it were, these broken animal pieces. God would be faithful to Abraham. And he would be faithful to those who would come after him. Even when the people of God have not themselves been faithful because God's promises are sure. And so Abraham continued to grow in stature and blessing and such that even the nations around him began to take notice. Even the unbeliever can recognize the blessings which come from God to his people. Listen to Proverbs 16:7 which says this, when a man's ways please the Lord, He makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Which is to say that even the enemies of God's people, even God's uh, people, even even the enemies will sue for peace for, for God's people, with God's people, because they recognize God's blessing. They recognize God at work, even when they reject God. And so here we come to chapter 21 and verse 22, where the king of the Philistines, looking upon the blessedness of Abraham, seeing how God was at work in Abraham's life, decided that it was best to sue for peace with him, and to make a perpetual covenant with him, because the Lord, the everlasting God, was with him. Now these events recorded for us in Scripture uh, happen around the same time as the birth of Isaac and about the same time as the expulsion of Ishmael and Hagar, which we looked at, of course, at last time. So this same king who we, have, we had, uh, had been introduced to before, uh, he had recognized God's great power. You remember at that time when he took uh, Sarah, uh, had, had abducted Sarah, And his life was threatened. He sees God's power and so he wants to live at peace with God's chosen servant. When the world sees the Lord's blessings upon the church, if they are thoughtful, they will seek to live at peace. In this way, the Lord will often protect his bride, the church. And so we come in chapter 21 to that time, uh, around that same time when Ishmael and Hagar were sent, to re- sent away, we read that Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, and Philcol, the commander of the king's army, come to Abraham. They come recognizing that Abraham enjoyed a special divine provision and protection. God is caring for Abraham. God has been protecting Abraham. If anything, Abraham's uh, first encounter with Abimelech showed God's protection of the patriarch. 
The Lord brought that vision to Abimelech, threatening his life. He tells Abimelech, if you don't give this man his wife back, you're a dead man. Undoubtedly, uh, Abimelech also observed the great wealth and the growing influence of Abraham in the region. Certainly word had gotten around that Abraham had defeated the kings of the east when they had made war against the kings of the valley with his 318 men, the mighty men, some years prior. And then that Abraham's God had destroyed the cities of the valley, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction. They knew that this was Yahweh that had done this, that this was Abraham's God. And so Abraham was becoming, as it were, a force to be reckoned with. And thus it behooved the king of the Philistines to live at peace with him. So thinking about the bigger picture, the narrative, and the covenant promises of God, this visit from the Philistine king and his military general provides further assurance that Isaac will in fact receive the promised inheritance. This is all part of God in his, in his providence showing how you know, Isaac will indeed inherit and, and there will be a seed as it were to come. Now as mentioned along with the king, uh, we see that the commander of the army, Philcol, came. Philcol, like Abimelech, probably is a title, it may be a family name, But his presence before the patriarch may indicate the rising political stature of Abraham in that region. So Abraham, growing in his holdings, growing in his stature, being a follower of the Lord, who the, the area is becoming familiar with this God's power, and since Abraham was, um, had open access to Abimelech's uh, territory, or at least his claimed territory, there arose the possibility that hostilities could arise between the king and uh, Abraham. And so Abimelech desired peace. In addition, both Abimelech and Philcol understood Abraham's special relationship to God. Now, this doesn't suggest that Abimelech is a follower of Yahweh. To the contrary, these were pagan polytheists. They did not acknowledge, but they did acknowledge that Abraham was greatly blessed and that he was a follower of the most powerful God. Of course, what maybe he wasn't admitting was this was the only true God, but he wasn't following the Lord. But he understood that this was a God who judged wickedness and had threatened the life of the king himself. Now all of this, if you consider all of these things together, this really does provide a lot of motivation for Abimelech to seek peace. And so he comes to Abraham and he asks for him to swear an oath to him by God. He swear an oath by... He's asking asking Abraham to swear an oath by Yahweh, by his God, by Abraham's God. Now what motivates this? Is Abimelech being friendly? Uh, This is maybe an example of keep your friends close and your enemies closer. It may be based on what we've already said. This may be driven largely by fear. Now notice that part of the oath the king desired was that Abraham would deal honestly, that is, not deal falsely with him and with his children after him. He reminds Abraham that he has been kind to him, though he is a sojourner. 
You know, I've been really nice to you, Abraham. I've let you live in this land, even though you're an alien here. Abimelech desires an oath of non-aggression between them. He seeks the protection which God affords the patriarch and thus wants God to be a witness between them. The covenant between them was to be perpetual and binding for them and for their children who would come after them. But, as we will see, this covenant was only as good as any other man-made covenant for subsequent generations of Philistines will become hostile toward Isaac out of envy for him. And they will continually stop up the wells. The very ones which Abimelech will be forced to acknowledge are Abraham's. Abimelech himself, though, appears to have been an honest broker. We don't detect any shady dealings with this request. Remember, he had, he had allowed Abraham to live as an alien shepherd in this land. Abraham had open use to the land. He recognized, though, the special blessings of God upon him, the power of God which Abraham serves. And so because of all this, he asks Abraham, I just need you to be honest with me. Let's deal with one another in honesty. These are relationships which could be mutually beneficial to one another. So having no trouble with this request for honest dealings and for peace, Abraham responds in verse 24, I will swear. He was happy to to do this. But then notice, immediately he tests out this new arrangement by lodging a complaint with Abimelech. Okay, I'll swear that we will deal honestly, but since we're on the subject, verse 25, Abraham reproves Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. I'm happy to live at peace. I'm happy to be honest with you, Abimelech. But you should know what your servants are doing. Abraham complains to Abimelech that some of his servants have been seizing the wells of water. Apparently this complaint is lodged before the treaty is finalized in verse 30. If Abraham and Abimelech are to deal honestly with one another then there, here's an issue which first needed to be resolved. Wells of water were vital to shepherds living in a desert place. Abraham had been digging wells, and Abimelech's servants had been taking those wells, or at least not allowing access to them. It was wrong for the king's servants to have treated him in this way. Uh, the verb uh, translated reproved in our English translations, or maybe complained, um, has the idea of rendering a judgment determining what is right or wrong. Here's a case to put before you, Abimelech, that needs to be settled before we finalize this covenant. So here Abraham is suggesting that since they're entering into an oath together, they will, they will in fact deal rightly with one another, but the king needed to determine the rightness of his servants doing this. The rightness, is it right, Abimelech, for your servants to be taking the wells that I have dug? What's probably happening was that Abimelech's servants were congregating their animals around the well and thus not allowing Abraham's servants to have any access to them. Uh, they were blocking the wells' access. 
Again, this is a desert place. This is an arid environment. And water is a precious resource. This was a good test of the friendship and the peace treaty to see if this precious resource could be negotiated fairly. We have some understanding of this, particularly in the American West, where water is such a, a commodity. And you, have, you literally have states which fight over water. This happened in those days as well. Now, the king's response, though, is to say this. Look at verse 27. He says, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham provides this complaint about the situation happening. Now, of course, had the king known what was going on, even as he comes to make a treaty with Abraham, it would immediately show him to be untrustworthy and dishonest. I mean, if he knows that his servants are doing this, and then he's you know, saying, well, let's make peace together, that's, that's, he's not dealing honestly. Now, whether or not Abimelech knew or not, uh, or if this is some sort of negotiating tactic, is not altogether clear, but giving him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, we, we, we really don't know. Uh, Abraham simply hadn't said anything about the matter, though, up until this time. And that said, however, one would think that an attentive ruler such as Abimelech would know about the activities of his servants. In fact, it may have been the tensions between servants which had given occasion for the tree to begin with. It's hard to say, but we should be careful not to impugn motive on Abimelech. So Abraham initiates then the ratification of the covenant arrangement with Abimelech you notice, by voluntarily bringing his own sheep and oxen. Now it's interesting that Abimelech had begun the discussion of, an, of, a, of a covenant arrangement, but then Abraham issues the first challenge which the treaty will face, namely the, the, the seizure of some of the wells. And then now Abraham is the one who brings the necessary animals to ratify the arrangement. Most likely, both men will slay the animals, the sheep and the oxen. Uh, The the phrase in verse 27, make a covenant, is the same formula. Literally, it's to cut a covenant. To cut a covenant. This is the same language which had been used in Genesis chapter 15, when God cut a covenant with Abraham. And so, here's what this would look like. These two men would, would slay the animals, they would cut them up, and they would place uh, the pieces of the animal on each side. And then the men were to walk through between them, signifying that this same, the same fashion that these animals are, are separated, they're cut apart, that if you break the covenant, this is what will happen to you. And so it's a very visual, bloody picture of what to expect, death and destruction, if you break the covenant. And one commentator, though, saw this as an exchange of gifts given from a lesser to a greater king. I, I don't think that's what's happening here. And in that case, then Abraham would be seen as a lesser. But in reality, Abraham is the greater of the two. In a sense, Abimelech seemed, at least to some degree, to be aware of that fact. Well, this is, though, not just simply an exchange of gifts. We, that will actually come in a minute. This is the cutting of a covenant. 
And so what we have here is what we would call a bilateral covenant. A covenant where both parties have obligations. Both Abimelech and Abraham have obligations. Now this is actually where it's a little bit different from what we saw in chapter 15. Because when God cut the covenant with Abraham, the covenant of grace, that is unilateral. It is God who made the covenant. It is God who fulfills the obligations of that covenant. We, his people, get to enjoy the benefits of it. Thus, why it's a covenant of grace. And so, to, uh, in order to guarantee that there were no more infractions upon Abraham's right, Abraham then sets apart seven ewe lambs from the flock. Now this is most likely an additional gift, not part of the sacrifices uh, that we'd already seen, which is evidenced by Abimelech's confusion. And as, as Abraham brings these, he, he asks, why did you bring these? What, what are these here for? These uh, lambs would be significant uh, for, because, of course, they're vital to the propagation of the herd. And the number seven reflects the importance of the well for Abraham's prosperity. And so he, he, sets, these, he sets apart these seven. And Abimelech is genuinely, genuinely perplexed. Uh, this, is, it, this really indicates this is an exceptional procedure. This is something out of the ordinary in the, uh, in the dealings in the ancient Near East. But when the king had given Abraham and Sarah animals, when he returned Sarah to her husband, there was no reservation from him in giving this. So here, though, he's questioning the meaning of this. He brings these animals uh, in this way. And really what this is doing is actually placing Abimelech on the defensive. And so he asks, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? If this, is a, if this is in fact a separate gift, and, and we think it is, then the, king, then the king accepting this gift puts him under further obligation. Recall again that Abimelech had already acknowledged God's favored status before the Lord. He, he understands that God, Abraham is a follower of the Lord. He was aware of God's special favor on the patriarch, particularly in light of the previous run-in he's already had with God. There is a sense, perhaps, that he fears Abraham. And so Abraham now bringing these additional seven lambs, even as they've already entered into a covenant together, causes a bit of consternation for the king. And so Abraham answers, very much to the point, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. The king had come seeking only security, not demands. But by taking these lambs as a witness, Abimelech would be forced to accept Abraham's version of the situation at hand, that the well is in fact Abraham's well, and that his servants must honor his rights as a sojourner in the land. The security of the king then will not come simply by agreeing to be nice and honest to one another but by agreeing on what is true and what belongs rightly to whom. That's where the security for the king will be found. By the way, this is a lesson. There's a lesson for us here as well. 
God's people don't have to be passive in this world. There are some who teach that if you trust in the Lord, then you just, you just don't deal with the governing authorities. You just trust that the Lord is going to take care of everything. But truth matters. And trusting in the Lord does not mean that we, seek, that we do not seek redress of concerns. We can't demand that the world abide by the rule of law. In essence, this is what Abraham is doing. He's using these lambs as a witness, that is to say, as a reminder to Abimelech about what is true, about whose well that is. Having a concrete witness such as this was a common occurrence in the ancient world. Consider the, the, the erected pillar in Joshua chapter 24, or the lambs in Laban's pillar in Genesis chapter 31. These kinds of memorials are things which parties can make an appeal to in a dispute. Remember the agreement we made? We put this pillar up, remember? That's a reminder for us of what's true. And so Abraham can point at the flock of Abimelech. Remember, these are are female lambs being given. What's that going to do? That's going to grow your flock. And so Abraham can point at the flock of Abimelech and say, See, see those seven lambs? See the, the, the offspring that have come from those lambs? This is a tangible reminder that this well that we agreed on is my well. It should remind Abimelech, and it should also remind his servants. Abraham was showing by this gift a display of his wealth and his power, but also providing a tangible reminder of their promise and of ownership. Abimelech was not dealing with some hapless foreigner wandering around in his land. He was dealing with a man who had a strong bargaining position because he was a follower of God. And so both Abraham and Abimelech swore an oath, they cut a covenant, and they called the place Beersheba, which means either well of oath or the well of seven. So it actually could mean either one of those. It's actually not clear which. But this may actually be very purposeful in the original Hebrew. This is a pun on the key word being used. The ambiguity of the word speaks to what went on there. An oath was taken with seven lambs to settle a dispute over a well. And later, Beersheba will mark the southern border of Israel. And so Abimelech and his commander rise and they return to the land of the Philistines, which probably indicates to us that Beersheba was not within the boundaries of Philistine control And Abraham stayed and planted a tamarisk tree in that place. This tree was also to be a memorial. As Abraham called upon the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. This recalls his earlier practice of worship when he had entered the land 25 years prior. But the planting of the tamarisk tree was not itself a religious act, but was a sign that he would remain for a long time. A tamarisk tree is a large leafless tree which grows well in arid regions. It would, in, in many places, it would be the only source of shade. If you, find, if you were to do a quick internet search of tamarisk trees, often you find that be the only tree with lots of sand or something around it. A tree growing such as this near the well in Beersheba would be a lasting witness to God's faithfulness and the provision of water. 
So Abraham worshipped the Lord, the God everlasting in that place, Yahweh El Olam, and sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Now these last two verses mark a fitting end to this scene. And the Lord had promised to Abraham a covenant relationship which was to be everlasting through his descendants. And that descendant has come, has been born, a chosen line has been now made evident. The Lord had also established Abraham as a leading light in the eyes of, the, of his pagan neighbors. His God, is, his God is more powerful than their so-called gods. In fact, it has been seen that Abraham's God is the Lord of all. This covenant arrangement between the king and Abraham reminds us of the covenant between God and Abraham and has many similarities and differences. God's blessing upon Abraham had prompted an unbelieving king to come and form a treaty with him, even as he's a, so- a sojourner in the land. He's a foreigner. He comes from a different place. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul points out that even a man-made covenant cannot be annulled or changed once it is ratified. In the context there, he's discussing the fact that the believer is justified by faith and not by works of the law. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. The promise of the seed that is an offspring, that is Christ, was not annulled 430 years later when the law came at Sinai. On the contrary, it was established. And so just as these seven lambs would serve as a witness between Abraham and Abimelech concerning a well, in that time then circumcision was a witness of the promises of God in a sense. The lambs pointed to what was true. Abraham was not buying the well. This was his well. He was asking Abimelech to acknowledge what already was true. In a similar fashion then, circumcision did not save, nor did any law-keeping save, as it were. Salvation, the forgiveness of sins, is of grace and is a free gift from God. This is based on God's covenant promises. Promises which God still makes to His people. God provided signs. God still provides signs for His people. So what is the sign which serves as a witness for us today? What is the sign which God has given of these spiritual realities? One would be baptism. Baptism does not save in and of itself, but rather points to the spiritual realities of washing and regeneration and renewal. Baptism points to the covenant realities, that is, the promises of God that He has made with His people in Christ. And so tied then is the sign of baptism to the thing signified that Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, says this, Baptism now saves you. Now that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. This is what Peter says. He says, Baptism now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Which is then to say this. When you look back on your baptism, when you think back on your baptism, you're looking back not on an event in which water is applied, but rather to the finished work of Christ on your behalf. This is what baptism signifies and seals. 
When you look back on your baptism, you're reminded that Christ died and rose again for me, that I have been washed and regenerated by Him. You look back at your baptism by faith, reminding once again, being reminded once again that you belong to God, that He has placed His mark on you, that you are a son and an heir of the promises of God through faith in Christ. And so in this way, our consciences can be clear. Baptism testifies to you as a witness, not to what you have done, but what God in Christ Jesus has done for you. It is a witness to you of God's covenant promises. That even if you don't remember your baptism, you can be comforted by it, knowing that God always keeps His promises even when you and I do not. Abimelech probably abided by the promises that he made with Abraham. After all, he is the one who sought the peace, but his descendants will not. Man does not abide by his promises, but God always does. And so you can rest assured that even as you look back on your baptism by faith, Christ has done a work in you and for you. That you are an heir of the kingdom. That you are a son by adoption. That the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, that is Christ, has indeed crushed the serpent's head. He has made you free indeed. And you can find your rest in that great shepherd of the sheep, even Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your covenant promises. That even as we, we know that the covenants of men do not stand, your covenant, O oh God, does. That your promises are sure. And that the promised seed, that is our Savior Jesus Christ, had come. And that he accomplished for us what we could not accomplish for ourselves, namely salvation, righteousness. And that you have given, it, given us our salvation by faith. And that even faith itself is a gift from God. And we thank you also that you give to us sensible signs and seals. Reminders of the washing and regeneration and renewal. That Christ has washed us just as the waters of baptism came upon us. Not because water does anything, but that Christ does. But you gave us this sign that we can look back and be assured of the work of the accomplishment of your promises for us. We thank you, O God, and we give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen.